on today's episode of Riding the 3x3. Blockbuster. Blockbuster trade in the NFL. Carson Wentz on his way from Philadelphia to the Indianapolis Colts. Solo venture for me today. Russ Helpman, your main host on Riding the 3x3. We chopping all that up, take both sides of the equation and get my thoughts on the deal. And then we have Brooklyn and the LA Lakers matching up on Thursday night, a potential NBA Finals preview. Although we won't get to glean much from the matchup because the Lakers obviously without Anthony Davis due to the hamstring injury. We'll close out the show with my must-watch event of the weekend. A game or uh, fights, anything like that, that I'm going to be fully tuned into over the weekend. Closing it all out in a very jam-packed week of riding a 3x3. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Keep supporting the movement. Let's get in the lane, number one. Blockbuster deal in the National Football League. We have Carson Wentz, embattled starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, headed to the Indianapolis Colts in a blockbuster trade that seemed to be coming every two to three weeks in this crazy quarterback carousel in the 2021 offseason. We had the LA Rams trade Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions, and now we have the Philadelphia Eagles trading Carson Wentz to the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third-round pick a tw- and a 2022 conditional second-round pick that will become a first if Wentz either plays 75% of the Colts' snaps next se- or this upcoming season or if he plays 70% of the snaps and the team ends up getting to the playoffs. So Carson Wentz gets what he wants, had been asking out of Philadelphia for a few weeks' time. The Eagles retain some sort of compensation here, at least uh, as much as I think you could really ask for, considering the guy had the 34th out of 42 uh, overall PFF grade ranking this past season among quarterbacks in 509 dropbacks on the season. He was, um, he was a disaster. Fallen off dramatically from his MVP level play in 2017 across 12 games. Pat and I have been on this pod talking about the insane efficiency that they were able to pull off on third down and how that just has not carried through the rest of Carson Wentz's career. Sixth out of 42 graded quarterbacks in 2017. Went to 14 in 2018. 14 once again in 2019 out of 39 qualified players. And then I just mentioned 34 out of 42 the, uh, the the raw stats don't don't make it look much better for our guy Carson Wentz, who finished 34th in completion percentage, 57% on the year, number one in interceptions, first in sacks, all despite being benched in favor of Jalen Hurts across the Eagles' final four games of the season. It's just amazing, amazing to see where this guy was as an MVP candidate in 2017. Frank Reich leaves, and he just craters all the way to the abyss. And now he gets to go back with a guy that brought him to MVP-level play in that season. But overall, like it's it's very difficult to say that Carson Wentz, when we look at this guy, and, and the real, true only winner, in my opinion, of this trade is Carson Wentz because he gets out of Philadelphia, gets out of a situation that he wanted to leave, did not like Jalen Hurts coming in and and uh, giving him competition, which, you know, he's a pro athlete. you think he would want competition, but no, uh, uh, soured on the locker room and, uh, and, and shattered any hopes for that team to come together last season. And overall, even when Wentz was with Frank Reich, across two full seasons, taking a full wide scope of Carson Wentz's time with Frank Reich, not just that 12-game MVP run, 6.8 yards per attempt. Wentz without Frank Reich, 6.7 yards per attempt. 244 yards per game with Frank Reich. 
250 yards per game without him. 63.5% completion without Frank Reich. 61.5% with Frank Reich. 88 rating with Frank Reich. 89 rating without Frank Reich. I can go on and on and on. The only true difference in Carson Wentz, with and without Frank Reich, you could say is the sack percentage, where with Frank Reich, he only got sacked 5.5% of the time, and without Frank Reich, that went up to 7.5%. Now, you could likely judge that 2% on Frank Reich making things a lot easier on Carson Wentz in the flow of the offense. Quarterback stats are are largely revolve, excuse me, not quarterback stats, sacks are largely quarterback stats. It's about how fast you can get the ball out of the pocket or get the ball out of your hands in the pocket. Look at Phillip Rivers last year. The Indianapolis Colts were right in the same range of ESPN's pass block win rate rec- metric for their offensive line, but Phillip Rivers was sacked near the lowest number in the league because of how adept he was in that offense, getting the ball out on time and making sure he hits his spots and his three, five, seven step dropbacks on time and getting the offense rolling and clicking uh, correctly. Carson Wentz is not that type of player at all. He looked lost all last season, looked lost much of 2019. And it's just, I I don't know what kind of guy the, the Colts, really getting in terms of what they are getting. And we'll start with the Colts right here, who I think are losers in this trade. The only winner is the 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 man going to Indianapolis, Carson Wentz. They're not as big a losers overall uh, when you're looking at the, the team on the other side of the coin here, the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, my, we'll, we'll finish up with them. But the Colts, you can justify the, the risks they're taking here. You can. When you think about the ready-made team that Chris Ballard, GM, has put together in Indianapolis, they have one of the best young running backs in the NFL, Jonathan Taylor, a solid offensive line, although they do need to replace left tackle Anthony Costanzo. That's a massive, massive replacement they have to go about through this offseason. And they have Michael Pittman, T.Y. Hilton, another guy you have to resign. So there's still moves that the Colts need to make on top of shoring up some of the edges in the corners of that defense. But this is obviously a much better overall roster that Carson Wentz is going to. I believe the Eagles last year led the league in offensive line starting combinations. It was just an injury-plagued unit all season long. So yes, you can justify the risk here for the Indianapolis Colts. But overall, like they have just been losers ever since Andrew Luck retired. He screwed this team two years ago when he abruptly retired before uh, a week, two weeks before the the start of the what the 2019 season. So they've been looking for a quarterback ever since. And as I've had time to take take a little bit more 30,000-foot view of this, I, I wouldn't have made the move if I'm the Colts. I would have tried to go up and get a quarterback and get a guy in a rookie contract that you can build and make your, your signal caller for decades to come. But Frank Reich, similar to our guy, uh, Sean McVay in L.A., similar types of deals here where you got embattled quarterbacks um, on the move. He has stamped his foot and, and laid it all on the line for his guy, Carson Wentz. He wants to bring him in. He feels like the the MVP player, the MVP level of play is still within that guy. And we'll see what happens. You know, all you can do is, is roll it out on the field and, and play football. When you look at that 75% metric, the worst case scenario here is this Colts team in a they're pretty competitive in AFC South. You got the Titans, you got the the Jaguars on the come up. They shouldn't be, I wouldn't say contending for that division, but they're going to be a tough out, I believe, with Trevor Lawrence uh, in his rookie season. So it's very possible that this Colts team is going to be looking at six and six, seven and seven 
in the final few weeks of the season with a true decision to make on uh, on Carson Wentz. He set six and six, seven and seven. I imagine we're going to get the same type of play that we got from Carson Wentz over the past two years. Uneven, shows some flashes, but overall, when you take a, a take a look at the full breadth of the body of work, it is not going to be starting caliber level of play. So, I I, I do I do think Carson Wentz will bring a level of competency somewhat to this to this Eagles quarterback room. You could make an argument that there weren't many other options for them to go down, but that's why I think you just scrap it all clean and you go for your quarterback of the future. If I'm Chris Ballard, I would be giving those picks up to go get a guy like Justin Fields, to go get a guy like Trey Lance, to go get a guy like Mac Jones, as opposed to Carson Wentz, who I think he's Alex Smith. That is what he's going to be for the rest of his career. Alex Smith was fine, nice, solid quarterback in Kansas City. One, I think he won a playoff game or two there, uh, you know, with the with the – San Francisco 49ers won a few playoff games there, but never reached the pinnacle of success that every single team in the NFL is looking for. And and aren't you always trying to find that guy? I guess Frank Reich really believes that Carson Wentz can be that guy and turn into a top 10 quarterback once again, uh, a, a status that he has only held for one season and 12 games at that in that one season based off of insane third down efficiency. So an interesting swing by the Indianapolis Colts. I wouldn't have done it if I were them. I would have taken my lumps and gone through the draft and tried to get a young guy on a rookie deal to build around for the next few years. But Chris Ballard definitely believes, and Frank Reich firmly believes, that Carson Wentz can be the final piece, I guess, to what is a almost complete roster in Indianapolis. Like I mentioned, they got some some pieces to fill in around the margins, but very, very close uh, they were last year at 11 and five with Philip Rivers. Like that's the thing. Are we really thinking Carson Wentz is going to play better than Philip Rivers did last season in that system? With how wily he is, with how many sacks he brings on himself, I am very reticent to believe that. And I think they just they just traded serious. They just traded legitimate assets for Alex Smith. You don't just trade away a 2022 first round pick. That who knows? Carson Wentz gets injured. We got a couple like. Look at the Texans. They are a perfect example of why you don't trade away picks two years down the line, especially when they can so easily turn into first-round selections if Carson Wentz just plays 75% of the snaps this season. Looking at it from the Eagles' perspective, what are they doing in Philly? I have no idea. They they take on now a $33.8 million cap hit, the largest in NFL history. So not going to be a very competitive team this year, and – I don't know. Who knows, though? It's the NFC East. Who knows what's going to happen in that division? But I thought they hired Nick Sirianni to fix Carson Wentz. And now they got a sport quarter zip who can't even show up to any formal events in a um, in a suit. They got him and his young staff at the helm of this wayward ship in Philadelphia. And Eagles fans better pray they select a quarterback in the top seven. Jalen Hurts, great story, great guy. I'm sure he can be a competent backup in the, in the NFL for years to come. The guy is not a starting quarterback in this league. He does not have the arm talent. He doesn't have the processing ability. Twenty, He was he's six touchdowns, four interceptions, had a 41 QBR last year, the worst completion percentage in the NFL in 2020, 52% on the season, a 77.6 passer rating. I just, I, I didn't see it from Jalen Hurts. He hit a couple lucky deep balls. That really helped his yards per attempt get to near league average at around 7.2, but the consistency is not there, and they need to, while they have this top 10 pick 
go up and get their quarterback of the future. Jalen Hurts is not the guy, but I think he will be the guy, honestly, for the Eagles in 2021 because they spent that second-round pick on him last year, and there have been reports that Howie Roseman views Jalen Hurts as, uh, as Russell Wilson. So we'll, we'll see how that works out for the Philadelphia Eagles, who are a wayward ship right now. Just It doesn't make any sense at this point why they fired Doug Peterson. Why, why did they go through that whole charade of trying to please Carson Wentz and get him on board when they weren't even going to mend a relationship in the long run? So Carson Wentz tying it all up. He is another cautionary tale among the first-round draft selections at quarterback. Get this, people. Since 29, or excuse me, 2009 to 2016, 22 first-round quarterbacks selected in the top of the NFL draft. Let's go through them real quick. It is a minefield, to say the least. None of those players are still with their current team. Starting in 2009, Matthew Stafford, we know, just traded from the Lions to the LA Rams. Mark Sanchez, not in the league. Josh Freeman, don't believe he's still in the league. Sam Bradford, next year. Not in the league. Tim Tebow, just retired from baseball. He is not in the NFL. 2011, Cam Newton, still in the league. Won an MVP, played at a very high level, but did not last 10 years with his uh, with his respective team out there in Carolina. Jake Locker, not in the league. Blaine Gabbert, Super Bowl champion, 2021 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Christian Ponder, not in the league. Andrew Luck, really just destroyed the Indianapolis Colts uh, plans when he retired a couple of years ago. Obviously not with his current or with the team that drafted him. RG3, Baltimore Raven, Ryan Tannehill, a Tennessee Titan, Brandon Whedon. Oh boy, that happened. 2012, 28-year-old, drafted in the first round. That did happen. EJ Manuel, only quarterback selected in the first round of 2013. Smart choice by those... Uh, by those decision makers because uh, EJ Manuel did not pan out to be a first-round talent. Blake Bortles in 2014, Johnny Manziel, and then Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota in 2015, and he got Goff, Wentz, and Paxton Lynch in 2016. Of those quarterbacks, only Stafford, Newton, Abert, RG3, Tannehill, Bortles, Bridgewater. I mean, only Bridgewater and Stafford are true top tier. I would not say top tier, but high level star. Not even, I don't know what am I saying? Only Stafford and Ryan Tannehill are top 15 options at the quarterback position currently in today's NFL. Just goes to show how much of a crapshoot drafting in the first round is, how quickly these GMs can fall in love with quarterbacks, and how quickly these quarterbacks can fall out of love with their current situations. Jared Goff, I believe, wanted to stay in Los Angeles, but Wentz obviously wanted out. Jameis Winston was not wanted in Tampa Bay. Um, Stafford wanted out of uh, of Detroit. Yeah, on and on and on. These guys are not long for 10, 15 year stays at their current um, current locations, unless it's it's a true, unbelievable top tier type of talent that is also um, also congruent with the with the vision of the of the front office and, and a guy like. Guy like Tom Brady for so long, Aaron Rodgers for so long, Ben Roethlisberger for so long. But eventually, those relationships have to come to an end. And it seems like these first-round quarterbacks, they all love to fall. We all like to fall in love with the the tale of ten to fifteen years of having these guys under center. That's just not the way it plays out. And it's kind of similar to the way NBA superstardom 
has played out over the past 10 to, 10 to 15 years. The biggest names in the NBA seem to always be changing locations, and uh, the NFL is kind of following suit over the past couple of years with some of the biggest names changing uniforms as well. We'll be back on Monday with Pat to uh, get his reaction to all the news and chat and dissect some more uh, fallout from this trade over the weekend. Speaking of the weekend, got a great matchup leading into the weekend in the National Basketball Association as we close up lane number one and move into lane number two. My respective picks to represent the Eastern and Western Conference in the NBA Finals. Traveling to Los Angeles to take on LeBron James and the Lakers. It's just, it's so frustrating though, people, that we don't get AD Anthony Davis in this game. Obviously, that's going to have a massive effect on what the Lakers are able to do defensively against guys like Kevin Durant and uh, and Davis's ability to switch basically through all five positions and be a kind of center fielder, shot blocking, destruction, destruction air, uh, to, for lack of a better term, in that Lakers defense, which has been unbelievable this year, allowing just 105.8 points per game, one of the best defensive efficiency teams in the NF or not in the NFL, in the NBA. Uh, overall, with the second-ranked scoring defense in the league, 44.9% shooting by opponents. Meanwhile, the Nets 7-7 seven and seven away from home. They lead the Eastern Conference in scoring 121 points per game, shooting 50.2%. And without AD, I think that's the biggest factor here, is that 121 points per game. I think the Nets, once again, uh, hum right near that 130-point barrier. They keep this offense rolling as Kevin Durant will not be available in this game as well, it looks like, um, due to a hamstring injury. So I'll be intrigued to see what happens in this matchup. It's just it's brutal that we don't get all of the stars on the court at the same time. But I am, uh, I'm very intrigued to see what Kyrie Irving and, and LeBron James have to say to one another, how they interact on the court. I know, uh, I don't, have they, they? I think they've matched up once. They've matched up once, I think, since Kyrie left for um, left Cleveland for the Boston Celtics, and uh, or excuse me, since he left the Celtics for the Nets, and LeBron has been on the Lakers. But this will be the first time that these two guys will have um, full matchup in terms of true contending status, true contending teams. But unfortunately, we don't get to see them at their full strength. Do get to see LeBron James, though, who has been unbelievable. 50.4% from the field, 25.7 points per game. He was lights out showing the rookie Anthony Edwards the business the other night against the Minnesota T-Wolves. He had like 30, 13, and 7. Crazy, crazy performance. Once again, in their first uh, first iteration in this stretch without Anthony Davis. I believe they're now 5-1 and one this season without AD, so we'll see if that holds up again on Thursday. Lakers 8-2 in their past 10, Nets 6-4. We shall see how these two match up. And LeBron had some comments on the Nets' firepower in terms of where they rank side-by-side with the previous super team he had to take out in the the Golden State Warriors with Clay, Steph, you got KD and, of course, Draymond Green being the facilitator and all that. I, I think it's it's very close, but I'd have to give... I think I would still have to give the overall offensive edge to the Warriors because of current continuity and the way... And just, 
just bi- little bias here. I love the way that I, I hated the way that team was put together, but when I actually got to see them play basketball, it was like a beautiful symphony. So there's just the way the ball moved, the way the ball flowed in that offense is a little bit more my style than what we've seen in terms of this Nets team, which uh, funny enough, uh, the trio Durant, Irving and Harden averaging 80.7 points per game for the Nets this year, and that trio I just got done opining about in Golden State averaged 75.8 per game in their best season in 2018-19. So it just goes to show you, yes, the overall scoring ceiling is higher for the Nets, but I would give the median kind of edge to the Golden State Warriors. Durant, Irving, Harden, though, it's just been, it's been so fun to watch that come together, and hopefully we can get we get Durant on the floor soon. Like these guys have rarely, I think they've only played seven games together with all three of them available and they're five and two in those matchups. So once again, without them, without KD in the matchup against the Los Angeles Lakers, that's going to be a lot of fun to see how those two shake out. And hopefully the uh, prediction rings true as we keep moving along into the all-star break in a couple weeks time that we're at least the second half of the schedule as we prepare for the NBA playoffs, I believe starting in the end of May. So all summer long, we get to see if uh, if I was correct in my Brooklyn Nets and Los Angeles Lakers prediction to match up in the NBA Finals. Closing things out on this week's Riding the 3 by 3 must-watch college basketball television right in my neck of the woods, people. Ohio State, Michigan. I cannot wait for this matchup on Sunday between two of the premier programs right now in all of college basketball. We've, we've, we've talked ad nauseum about how the Blue Bloods, Kansas, Duke, UNC, UCLA, everybody it seems that has, ha- that has a historical marker in college basketball is struggling this year, not the Michigan and Ohio State men. It's going to be a crazy fun matchup on Sunday between these two teams. Number four in the country, Ohio State, hosting number three, Michigan. Uh, no line on it right now as of Thursday as these two guys, two teams still have a couple of matchups to go or one matchup each to play on Thursday night before battling each other. But Ohio State currently a 52.1% matchup favorite in this uh, in this battle. And I don't know what the edge is, is going to go to here. That's why I'm so excited to see how these things shake out or see how this shakes out on Sunday could argue two of the best teams in the entire big 10 Illinois will, uh, will, will, will have a little qualm with that argument with their guy, uh, all American AO DeSomo just tearing things up right now. But I would, I'd probably go, I'd probably go Ohio state. I'd probably go Michigan, Ohio state, Illinois in that order. And that's kind of how most power rankings have it shaking out right now. Michigan 14 and one. They of course haven't played as many games because of the three week break they had to go through, came off of that and stopped, uh, Wisconsin in their first game back. Hunter Dickinson has been an amazing force as a big man freshman for this Wolverines team. I believe he tied Trey Burke for the most freshman of the week awards received in one single season. He will uh, undoubtedly be the freshman of the year in the Big Ten. Wolverines outscored Wisconsin 40-20 to in the second half. He had 11 rebounds in that half alone, finished with a double-double. Just destroyed his the, the opponents on the other end in that game as well. Nate Reavers and Micah Potter had zero rebounds in 40 minutes of play combined. That's crazy. Like Hunter Dickinson, freshman, is dominating grown men in Nate Reavers and Micah Potter. Then on the other side, you got Ohio State 
playing just great team basketball, especially on offense, where they scored one point per possession at least in each of their past 10 games, making double-digit three-pointers. They are they have canned double-digit threes in six of those, shooting 50% um, from two-point range. Justin Arns has been an amazing addition to the starting lineup in there, made at least three triples in seven of his nine games as a starter. And C.J. Walker, everybody running in the form. Kyle Young, it has not been nearly the uh, the disadvantage for the Ohio State Buckeyes contingent not having Caleb Wesson and uh, and the other Wesson, Andre Wesson, in the fold this season. They have carried on beautifully. And this has been the kind of culmination of the Chris Holtman experience. The guy comes over from Butler. He's got, I believe this is his, I believe this is his fourth year, fourth or fifth year at the helm of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and that's Usually, that is the time where the athletic director, all the boosters are looking at you saying, all right, bud, you got all this money. You got this big name. We gave you this big contract. It's time for those prospects. It's time for those recruits to start living up to the madness. And the madness is going to be welcoming the Ohio State Buckeyes in Indianapolis with open arms in a couple weeks' time. Cannot wait for that matchup in the Schottenstein Center. So excited for Ohio State, number four in the country against the number three ranked Michigan Wolverines, 1 p.m. Eastern on CBS, EJ Liddell, CJ Walker, Kyle Young, matching up with Hunter Dickinson and the rest of the Wolverines contingent. No Pat Fetch this Thursday. He'll be back on Monday. I'm Russ Seltman wishing everybody a very happy, healthy weekends. Talk to you on Monday.